Hey, this is Sean, co-host of Lux's Litter Box. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We have a very special show planned. But before we get going, if you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider subscribing or giving us a follow in your preferred podcast hosting service. We really appreciate it. We hope you enjoy the show and go Wildcats. Okay, so in this episode, we are going to first look at Davidson's first two and only two games in the A-10 tournament, and then we will look ahead at Davidson's potential NIT or CBI uh, playoff berth, and then we'll maybe look ahead at Davidson's future for next season. And to do this with us, we actually have a roundtable, a little panel of Davidson guests, some of the biggest Davidson voices on Twitter and in general. I'd first like to welcome into the podcast Sam Goldfarb. Sam is the a sports commentator for Davidson and hosts a radio show, The Goldmine. Hey guys, um, glad to be here and looking forward to talking some Davidson hoops with you. And our second guest, we have one of the trio from Belkerport. Belkerport is a very opinionated and sometimes controversial Twitter account that is quickly growing and quickly becoming one of the main voices in the A10 Twitter world. Lil Bona X on Twitter called it a staple of the A10 Twitter community and a must follow. Um, we are joined by Ian. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it was a very very uh, diplomatic introduction of talk report right there. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Uh, glad to have you guys both on. We're looking forward uh, to getting started with this episode. So we're going to start with A10 tournament. Davidson drew George Mason in their quarterfinals matchup after George Mason defeated George Washington in the second round. So Davidson was a three seed and played the six seed George Mason. Uh, we'll start with just some general impressions from the game. We'll start with you, Ian. What, what, did, you, what did you think about this game? Yeah, so going into it, I know Jacob and Colby, the other guys from Belk Report, were a little bit nervous about playing Mason. They thought they looked really good. I wasn't that worried about it. I thought we had some good matchups here. And then when the game actually happened, that was that was very refreshing to see. Having our offense run smoothly, honestly, it looked like the guys out there were having fun, um, which we hadn't really seen in the three games coming off the COVID pause with Bonaventure and VCU. I mean, it's easy to have fun when you're shooting, like, 60% from the field, 55% <laughs> yeah. from three. And, the, like, what I know is, like, literally everything is working. Like, in a typical game, you, you see the catch-and-shoots, uh, three-point shots work. You see, you see Luca's post moves generally can, can be pretty effective in some backdoor cuts maybe. But in this game, we saw a lot of mid-range jumpers, especially from Lee. We saw some floaters from Grady. We saw Bates Jones do some pump fakes and, and get to the rim. It felt like there were no nerves. We were just playing, just having fun. Yeah, don't sell Lucas short. Four or five from three. I mean, yes. I mean, yes. and that he has a stroke. People don't realize it, but if you give him space, he can knock it down. I thought overall, I mean, obviously you shoot the lights out. I was a little nervous heading in. Um, I don't know if I was as nervous as Jacob gets before games because <laughs> Jacob is always on edge, but it kind of felt like the beginning of the 2018 tournament. Obviously, you're a three seed. You're playing a six where things are a bit apprehensive and you run them out of the building. Uh, St. Louis, obviously, in 2018. Mason in 2021. Um I, yeah, I mean, I think you guys sum it up well. Everything was going. We hit a step back mid ranger, looking like Kevin Durant on that on one of those plays. I was like, everything was working, like you said. Um, I, I think overall that game was probably the best we played all year, and I don't know if it's close. Yeah, and someone who maybe doesn't follow the A ten will be like, oh, George Mason, just probably one of the, the bad teams in the conference. But this team was on a five game winning streak. They they beat you at the Seagull Center. 
of course, Bones is out for a little bit at the end of that game, but I mean, they were still, they were still VCU. Yeah. You sum it up well there. We were probably supposed to be in a closer one, especially with the shot blocking power of AJ Wilson. Uh, you've got some other guys who can really fill it up. Javon Green's out there. Miller uh, was coming off a big night with 19 and 10 the previous game. Yeah. I think, honestly, they expended a lot of energy uh, trying to win an unexpected knockdown, drag-it-out type game in the 6-11. And, obviously, I think we capitalized on that very well off the extra rest. We came in pretty motivated, looked, looked ready to go right off the bat. I mean, just look at I mean, Kellen Grady's performance. That was that was incredible. That was probably one of his best performances he's had at Davidson. Um, he's always been a guy you can never question his skill. He's a guy in all his four years. It's not always him that has to be the guy. He's he's so good at making people around him better. And it was kind of nice to see him just go off for thirty-two points. For sure, I think I, I looked it up after the game. This was his sixth time over over thirty or at thirty in his career, but it was his first time since the NIT matchup against Lipscomb sophomore year. So we didn't see it at all his junior year. And it just like, it kind of looked like the old Kellen in terms of his ability to get to the rim. I mean, of course he can still do that, of course, but like he was, he went also got to the line eight times, made all eight free throws. It, it, was, it was just a nice sight for, for Kellen who, who has been off and on this season. Yeah, I think Kellen, you look at his numbers throughout the year and since Peyton Aldridge left, some of those numbers were and percentages were the best of his career. I mean, coming in, he was 39% entering the A-10 tournament. He was over 40 a lot of the year from three. I think, obviously, he had a phenomenal game. I think the second half was really what keyed it. I think Lee really paced us in the first. Like you guys say, very impressed by everything was working. He's very good at getting to the hoop. People don't realize his floater game has been one of the stronger aspects of his game his entire career. And obviously, when the threes are falling, it's pretty much impossible to stop him. Mason pretty much found that out the hard way, and that did the trick. And, I mean, compared to what we're going to talk about next, the VCU game, night and day. Night and day. I, I called it in my little article, I think, today. Tell two games, like the Charles Dickens article. Just everything seemed to be different. And you owe that partly to the VCU defense, which is obviously amazing. I think 11th in Ken Palm. But, but it was just also us just not, just not shooting as well as we did. Yeah, of course. Um, I think the big thing for Davidson's offense in big games like that is, are you making the three? Because it opens up so much going to the hoop. When you make the three, those curls that McHill likes to run off motions work better because guards are biting more aggressively off pick and rolls. They're coming up closer to the perimeter and they're just carving out much more space for bigs to dive into, people to drive into, cut off ball. And I think against VCU, when the shots aren't falling against a defense as good and aggressive as Havoc is, it's really, really difficult to score. And you saw the offense kind of go up and down throughout the night, have its struggles for most of it. So I think a lot of it, for what I noticed at least, was pace of play was really changed in those two games. That was one of the big differences I saw. And I think part of it was because VCU was just straight up a quicker team than what we saw in George Mason. Defensively, it looked like we were going back into kind of what we did all year on ball screens, doubled, um, and then had the guy coming around shading um, on the ball screen, have him retreat really quickly. Uh, That doesn't work as well on quicker guards because they can really just split. Or if you do what VCU uh, does with really nice pick and roll concept that they have, especially with a lot of um, their really talented bigs, that can be really dangerous. Of course, that's not going to be when you do it against a team like George Mason, that's not going to cost you as much. But VCU was able to lock us down on defense, dictate uh, pace of play, and really gave our defense fits. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, VCU honestly has to be one of the best defenses in the country, um, just with their combination of size and speed. You don't you don't see too many teams like that. And yeah, they definitely shut us down on offense. But let's not forget that we also only held them to 24 points in the first half. Right. Like that first half, honestly, that was probably the weirdest half of college basketball I've ever seen. It was painful to watch for both teams. I think I think CBS Sports, they showed the first half stat lines. We were two of 12 or something in layups and VC yep. out of 16. Yep. I mean, it crazy. I mean, they were missing some some breaks and layups in the first game, but unlike the first game we played VCU, we weren't able to capitalize on that. We weren't uh, necessarily making the layups our, ourselves. So, so, yeah. Yeah, my dad texted me at one point because he wasn't, like, watching the game live, but he had pulled up, like, the feed on ESPN, and it kind of has, like, a box score breakdown of, like, every single play. And he's like, what's going on where it's just, like, eight – eight plays in a row, it just says miss layup. Um, yeah. And so, but I mean, that's pretty much how it went. It was a really ugly game to watch, even all throughout. Eventually, offenses kind of got going. Yeah, I, I think the first half was, like you guys said, very wonky. I think we have to, I think it was more like a game of attrition and VCU just kind of wore us out. I think they got a lot of offensive boards in the second half or foul calls to keep possessions alive when we defended for 30 seconds in crucial plays like when we go on a 7-0 run and cut it to seven there's a big possession there and I can't remember if it was an offensive rebound or a foul but basically they got a fresh shot clock from it and I think those plays really killed us in the first half we were able to really stay tight and defensively we did hold our own I think um, we shoot a little better in that first half obviously it's a different story but in the second half it was really an issue of VCU shot a little better than we did and was better on the glass got a few more calls on 50-50 balls and things like that. And that really hurt us and wore us down at the end of the game. And so something my basketball coach used to say in high school, obviously it's a little bit different because there's not really a shot clock in most high schools. But when you're playing defense for that prolonged period of time, eventually the defense is going to wear down and kind of give up an easy look, whether it's a mental lapse or just like a physical lapse. Yeah, yeah. that's. I mean, that was really – like I said, in the second half, that's really what got us. I thought also you guys both bring up good points in how VCU really took advantage of the hedge. Um, I think Luca hedges very well, and he does a good job getting back, but they were able to thread it very fast. Has we were lucky, honestly, Hassan Ward didn't finish around the rim as, as well as we thought he could. I think he went 2-5 in the game, but he scored a couple late. Um, I thought really throughout the game, he was getting in good positions off that hedge and just not taking advantage of opportunities. Um, and there were other opportunities that VCU just kind of capitalized on throughout the game that really bit us. And so defensively, yeah, when you defend that well, you might overhedge a little bit too much, or you might just give up a bad look. You won't box out a lot of small things, mental lapses after you defend for 30 seconds that really get you. Hassan Ward was the person that really put us away. Yeah. Well, um, he had to jump, like speaking of the shot clock, they, they had an inbounds or something, two seconds, and he made the jumper. And like they had late shot clocks with Bones. Highlands three is like we could get it down, and then they'd either get the offensive rebound or, or they'd make a crazy shot. Which that Hassan Ward shot was killer. Like that Hassan Ward shot was the dagger for yes. me. Like when I like I, I when I was watching that game, despite how badly it was going, I was still like, okay, we can hit a few threes and get in this. Right. VCU didn't turn us over much. They only turned us over eleven times in the game, which is about average for a basketball game. And I think that what really like when Hassan Ward catches that off the screen with two minutes left and hits it with Nelson all up in his face, I think it was Nelson. Um, I was just like, right, what can you do at this point? Like you're down eleven with two and a half left, this is going to get really difficult. And the crazy part is we actually out-rebounded them on the offensive glass, at least. 
We're one of the top defensive rebounding teams. We were. I think we fell down. We were like one and then four. I think we're now like 11-ish or something, but yeah. yeah. But I mean, that's what happens when you give up so many second chance points yeah. um, and let them have those opportunities. 11 offensive rebounds for uh, VCU. That's, that's going to be a killer. And Hassan Ward was big on that. I mean, you mentioned how he put us away with the dunks, the fadeaway shot. He really had that big play. Um, he had a couple big blocks late and throughout. He got, I mean, he really did not cause Luca problems in the first game. In the second game, I thought he gave him real issues. Like when Luca tried to get to the rim, he blocked him on one dunk attempt. Um, and yeah, I think that was like Hassan Ward. You mentioned, you mentioned how good he was both at the end of the game, but he was good on the glass and he was really good at pinning our shots. I think Luca went a perfect seven of seven inside the three-point arc in the first game. He missed like two threes, but perfect inside the arc. This game, he went two of seven, I think, inside the arc. So just a night and day different game for him. Yeah, and I think it was a night and day different game just by the fact that Bones Highland was in there, uh, Vince Williams Jr. Yeah. Um, yeah, that last game of the season, I mean, that that was a great way to go out, last home game. Um, but yeah, I mean, you knew watching it, if Bones Highland was playing, it's a completely different game. And credit to those guys, both Williams and Highland. I mean, they were last-minute decisions playing the day before. Um, and Highland coming off that major injury, getting 30 points, and then coming up with 12 against us. Like, real credit to them for fighting through the pain. Yeah. I mean, they're battling. Those guys are really good. I actually – I'm not going to lie. Like, I hadn't watched a ton of VCU uh, this year, at least, heading into uh, that game against Dayton. And when I watched that and saw the Highland fadeaway from the corner on a Kawhi Leonard looking buzzer beater play, um, I was just like, All right, this kid's ridiculous. I mean, I knew he had game and I knew we could fill it up, but the, the just the amount of talent that he has, that's a future NBA player right there. And yeah. I think that he, he honestly, like, it's not like he was impossible to stop for us. I think we definitely had to expend a lot of energy guarding him and maybe that led to lapses elsewhere, but I think that just the presence he brings on both ends of the floor is really, really tough to cope with. VCU, in my opinion, with the pieces that they do have, if they don't lose Highland, they could be a national team to watch next year. For sure. Especially because of how many – that's what surprised me, was how many of those players were underclassmen. I thought that was going to be a team, like an experienced team, but there are a lot of freshmen, sophomores – a few juniors and one senior in the starting lineup. That was, that is going to be a hard team to beat next year, especially with how well they played defensively this year. It's going to be even crazier next year. Yeah. And they've been together for a while too. I think that's a big point. Uh, like you have Williams back, you have Highland back, you, you Ward who has only been playing basketball three years and he's got more experience. He's playing at a higher level. He's going to be playing in the tournament this year, most likely. Yes. Come back next year, assuming everyone stays together. I mean, you never know in college basketball. People thought our team was going to be elite last year. And we were, I think we were still a very competitive team, and certain games didn't break our way. And we had, obviously, up and downs with Brampton leaving the program. But I think that assuming you don't have any unexpecteds like that, this VCU team is going to be really good for a while. So the game was definitely rough. But did either of you guys take away any positives? That's, that's what I tried to focus on a little bit in my A10 Talk article. Well, what did you guys notice good from the VCU game? One thing I'm really looking forward to seeing next year um, is just our group of bigs. I mean, we're not graduating any of them. Like, Sam Menenga is going to be back. Luke is back. Uh, Nelson's going to be back. Only Well, we are losing Bates Jones, who he – honestly, I loved seeing him play – Great on defense, I thought. Really held his own there. And just seeing him develop from a freshman to this year was really great. But I'm really looking forward, you know, 
I think most of the time when they, people think of Davidson, they think of guards. And I think this is the deepest group of big men that Davidson has really had that I can remember. And that's something I'm really looking forward to seeing next year. Yeah, I think we're the 16th tallest team in the country right now or something. So, And all, all of our tall, tall guys are coming back. So, yeah. I like the way we fought, as cliche as that sounds. I mean, you go down, you're not shooting well. VCU's having success against you on the glass. And you stay in, in the first half, you still stick with it defensively. And then in the second half, we went down by double, double digits and cut it to seven. It's not like, honestly, the, there was big differences between this game and the St. Louis game from two years ago. Uh, obviously, St. Louis, the St. Louis game, we didn't play well in the first half. It was kind of close at halftime. We just faded in the second. I think this was totally different. I thought we fought really hard. I thought I, I thought Nelson put in decent shifts off the bench. I thought um, Kellen came into his own late. Lee, Lee was actually pretty decent from the perimeter, despite us shooting pretty badly as a team. I think that there, there were positives to take. We played a very, very good VCU team that is in its stride right now, and I think probably might wind up winning the A-10 tournament, despite how good the Bonnies have been. I that the way we stuck with it and managed to keep fighting and trimming it down and just have a few plays that didn't break our way late, that's really what did it. And I just, I'm not going to sit here and say that this was utmost eternally bad because we, we continued to fight, and that could have broke differently if you don't have the Hassan Ward fade away, if you don't have a couple shots that go down at the end of the shot clock or a couple rebounds that just break their way, we, we had windows. We just, we just didn't fully capitalize on them. And I think that's the positive I'll take from it. Yeah. And, and what I'm hoping is that the fight carries into next year for, for some of our younger players. I mean, it's hard to ignore the fact that like Grant Huffman, his first eight in tournament doesn't get a single point, in either of the games, first game he fouls out in 13 minutes. I mean, it, it was definitely not the best performance, but Coach McKillop stuck with him. He dribbled the ball up the courts against a havoc, amazing havoc backward press. And he, he only had one turnover despite the press. And yes, he didn't have any points, but I'm hoping that he kind of comes back next year strong and now is prepared to, to deal with even defenses as, as ferocious as this VC or Rams defense. And he's been a bright spot all year. I think I, I really like what Grant's brought. I think he brings secondary playmaking this year. I think he'll be a good starting point guard next year, potentially. He offers shooting. Um, I think people didn't see it as much as maybe they should have because Grant hesitated a lot, actually, to, to pull the trigger from the perimeter at times. I think that another year of development and offseason, maybe some more confidence building, I think he's going to be great. So obviously we talked about the positives of what we saw, but going into transitioning into what's gonna, what we're going to lose for next year. Um, and what this team could potentially look like, how do you guys feel about what we have? Specifically, we're losing a lot of our guards, it feels like. A lot of the speed that we have that, and a lot of the playmaking. Obviously, Kellen Grady. And do you, another question, do you think that Lee can keep up his shooting when he doesn't have someone to take the pressure off him on the offensive side? I think, yeah, obviously losing Kellen and Carter is going to be a major, major issue there. But we have guys, I mean, we touched on Grant Huffman. I'm, I'm a big fan of Mike Jones. He started last year, Franton left. I thought there were times he could have been starting this year. So I think, you know, we'll make up for that, okay? But yeah, touching on Lee, that's my major concern. Is he going to be able to be the guy? Because when he got off to that just amazing start this season and teams started to focus on him more, his, his numbers started to drop down a little bit. But given another year, he's had more experience. I think he could, definitely, he could definitely perform the way that he did this year, even being the most important player on our team that defenses are going to focus on. I'm optimistic, actually. I, look, 
losing Kellen and Carter hurts, especially with what they brought to the program over the past four years. Kellen's been one of either the second best player or the best player objectively throughout his time here. And the last three years, he's been the man. And I think he really adapted well to generating the pressure from taking the pressure from defenses and still producing. I think it's going to be hard, but like Ian said, Huffman is going to be a big piece going forward. I like Mike a lot. I think Mike brings a lot defensively as well that maybe we didn't expect to see from him as much going in. And what people don't remember is Mike filled it up in high school. Like Mike is a scorer. And I think he can definitely generate some stuff off the bounce. Maybe he'll develop that more in the offseason. And then with Lee, as far as that goes, I think he's such a good shooter that while it's going to bug him a little, I mean, the man shot 50, 40, 90. He's got a pure stroke. He can, his pump fakes pretty much fool everybody, despite the fact that people see him on film every week. It'll be tougher. It might take a brief few weeks, a few weeks, maybe even a few months to adjust. But I think by the time we get down to crunch time of next year, he's going to be used to that. I've seen some ball creation ability uh, develop from last year to this year. And we saw the huge leap he took from freshman year to sophomore year. I, I, I'm not as stressed. I, I have faith in Lee to be able to deal with that. I, I'm certainly optimistic as well. Um, I, I'm just a naturally optimistic person, so maybe that's me. But I just don't see us, like, regressing maybe as much as someone who just looks at the team and says, oh, Colin's leaving. Because, like, yes, like, the top of the league and the bottom of the league are probably going to pull, pull apart a little bit. Um, you know, the Bonnies are going to be great. VCU is going to be great. We'll see how Dayton's recruiting class comes in, and St. Louis should probably be pretty decent too. And then the bottom, maybe now with Richmond in the mix too, will kind of pull down a little bit. And I don't know if we're going to jump with either of those groups. But like, yes, Lee Lee is a shooter. He's going to shoot. Mike Jones, he can steal. He's a great shooter as well. And and I think that even in the days where or uh, the games where where Lee is getting covered and getting hassled, that that's just going to open up Brykovich, who will be a who will be a senior inside. So I'm optimistic, and, and I know uh, Belk Report, especially Jacob probably, is, really likes Des Watson. Des Watson out of high school in Ohio, and then Chris Ford is coming too. I mean, they, you don't see them with stars on, on all the recruiting websites, but they look, especially, well, in my opinion, especially Des Watson, like they look really fantastic. And, and I, I'm, I'm happy to see a new face regardless of who they are, just to see them in Bob McKillop's offense. Des Watson is a dude. Like, yeah. he's a dude. Like, uh, in the, his district championship game, they put up 42 points as a team, and he dropped 20 of them. Yeah. I, I, think, I think that you bring him in, yes, the college game is going to require some adjustment, but I've, I've seen some great on-ball ability from a guy who's a little bigger, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's going to fit in very well. I think also, right, our size is going to bother teams. Like, we bring the bigs back. Sam's back. And the thing about – people forgot about Sam. He had that big game against Texas. He had a couple bigger games throughout the year. And, yes, he had some games where he was quieter. But Sam Menenga can also really ball. And I think pe- people who are maybe are more casual Davidson fans, probably who don't watch as much as we do, um, are saw, see a couple games and they're like, oh, he was highly touted, but, but where's the development? He's going to be very, very, very good. Yeah. And – I think, yeah, you partner him up with Luca for another year. They know how to play together better. Less interrupted, hopefully, fingers crossed, due to COVID and everything. Hopefully that's out of the way or at least in the back burner. I think that you have all these guys coming back. You bring in Watson, who can fill it up. Lee, I like we talk about how he's developed and how he will probably continue to develop. I'm naturally optimistic, but I still have faith. Bob McKillop teams, especially in the A-10, have always contended. For sure. I mean, Menega, you have to remember, this is a COVID season. He's a freshman, and he started literally every single game except for senior night and the Southern Virginia game. And, you know, so you got that experience. I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing him play more and seeing what he can do. 
um, as he gets more minutes. Yeah, and I think people might point to like a few like like I'm a big fan of Sam. I'm a big fan of everyone on on our team, but I'm an especially big fan of Sam and what he brings. I think his shooting will be better um, because in like at the international level, I believe he shot it at a better clip. I think he's adapted to the physicality of the college game, the quickness of guards and dribble handoffs. He made a few mistakes passing wise, especially against Mason. I think he'll clean that up in the next year. That's just an at freshman stuff, added year of practice and development and time. I think that that will definitely improve his game and make him more polished. I think that you're going to see a big breakout from Sam next year, and I'm looking forward to watching it. Uh, yeah, touching on Sam real quick. I think he has something that, you know, not many Davidson bigs have. He has the ability to drive to the rim that, you know, as good as Luca is, that's not his strong suit. And I think that's something that we'll see more from Sam next year. I hope to see that more from him. And, yeah, obviously his, his three points – shooting percentage is going to go up. So I think we're going to transition just to our last topic, which is uh, the future of Davidson getting another game in or NIT CBI appearance. Uh, we'll start with Ian, because I know, Ian, you think Davidson right now is potentially on the outside looking in if there was an NIT bracketology. I guess this is just, you know, the result of the A-10 feeling like, you know, we constantly get snubbed a little bit here and there, thinking about to see Bonaventure a couple of years ago. Honestly, I think we haven't had the greatest strength of schedule this year. Our record isn't as strong as it could be. I mean, it's ultimately going to rely on, you know, are there going to be any bid stealers for the NCAA tournament? Because we got to remember the NIT this year is only 16 teams, and they are only at large bids. As, as many positives as we can take from this season, and there's plenty of them, plenty to be excited about. I just think it's hard to compete with the the strength of schedule that, you know, some of these power five teams have had. From some lists that I saw, we were on the outside looking in or maybe just barely in. And then we had a 32 point slaughter of George Mason that maybe bumped us up a little bit. I think that'll be really close that, but we have a chance. And the reason that I say that is because I looked it up and, and the A-10 in the, in the years that Davidson's been here. So the, the six years that there was an NIT, uh, the next, the best team that didn't make the NCAA tournament in the, in the A-10 always made the NIT. Um, except for the year that we went in 2018, you had us, we went and Rhode Island and St. Bonaventure went. And then, then there was a big drop off in, in the A-10 because St. Joe's were mediocre. And I think that was the fourth best team. They didn't make the NIT. But this year, we're the, in terms of the standings, we are that next best team that will make the uh, NCAA tournament. Of course, you could argue St. Louis is better. But I think that, you know, the A-10 is in a position where we're a good enough conference where we could make it, but it, it'll be close for sure. I think it'll be tight. I think... The A-10 is a conference that tends to get lower seeds in the A-10. Like, they tend to get disrespected in terms of A-10 seeding, which concerns me because it's a limited field now. If it was 32, obviously, this would be a no-brainer for me. But also, A-10 teams do historically sneak in. Uh, so, obviously, the year we went two years ago, we were at four. And yeah. that was a little low, given that we had tournament aspirations uh, throughout that season. So, I, I don't know. That's my concern. If you shrink the field and you're instead of having eight seeds, you're having a, effectively four seeds because uh, you got a 16 team field. So, it's a question more of does the history, history of the A10 getting bids prevail or is it the history of the A10 getting disrespected in seeding? Yeah. I mean, the thing though is in, in the 2019 uh, NIT when we made it, I mean, yes, we were second in A10 and we. We were, we did have some tournament aspirations. We were getting votes, at, I think like one or two votes at times in the top 25, but we were also 85th in Kempom. And this season we're now 58th and we're 62 in net. And yes, the, the field's cut in half, but you're not gonna have regular season champions from, from lower conferences get the automatic bid. 
So I think there's a chance, but there is also a chance that I don't have any insider information that this would happen, but there is a chance that we, you know, it's a tough COVID season. Uh, they, players maybe have been a little distance from their families. And of course there's all these other challenges. And then you're asking the team now to go to Texas for essentially a consolation tournament. And I know Belk Report, I'm not sure which person of the trio was tweeting this, but they thought that we might not end up even uh, accepting the offer if it was presented to us to go to the NIT. I'm not quite sure who tweeted that. But, you know, honestly, just looking at it from a human perspective, I would not blame the team if they didn't want to go. It's It's been a long year for everybody. I can only imagine what it's like for athletes. Being away from your family probably since June or July or something, probably. Think of a guy like Nelson. He hasn't been home since, I think, last Last summer? summer. Last summer. Yeah. Yeah, like I can't imagine that. And if they decide they don't want to go, you know what? Nobody can give them a hard time. Like, look, if if they're playing in it, I'm going to watch it and I'll support the guys. But if the guys sit and say, you know what? I need need time off. I just played. We had COVID pause. I just came off that trying to go to the NCAA tournament. It didn't work out. Like, I would get the logic of sitting there and being like, we're not going to go. I don't know what the guys are thinking. I, I like I haven't had in-depth conversations with them. I know that this mentality, uh, this mentality of this team is a little different than maybe 2019. Whereas 2019, they really wanted to get they, like the tournament going back, back to back to the tournament was like a huge priority. And obviously, going to the tournament is a huge priority every year. But this year, it's more of a situation like we're playing kind of with, with house money more, given that we weren't picked to finish as highly. We finished. We were picked to finish seventh. We finished third. We go to the A10 semis. We over perform expectations i think that this year the nit would seem like less of a consolation than it would in the past i don't that's just my perspective just given what the pundits said between 2019 and 2021 yeah uh but again look if they don't want to play in it i'm not going to fault them for it because i can't like just like inside i can't imagine you know having to sacrifice the amount of people you can see on a daily basis and like cut off your circle and everything just to continue your your season pretty much and so i wouldn't blame them if they want to take a break yeah i agree i mean at first i was like really gung-ho about it because i'm like i want to see them play again it gives the underclassmen their first chance because they perform in a, a national postseason tournament and uh kellen grady sits at 1990 points so it would allow him to go over 2000 in the nit if he doesn't get a, another game randomly scheduled before selection sunday so I, but then uh, I think it was probably Jacob who tweeted on the Belk Report account and kind of changed my perspective on it. So if the team thinks it's in their best interest to to just wrap up the season, then then I'm I'll, I'll support whatever the team does for sure. Okay, well that was it. Uh, we really enjoyed you ha- uh, having you guys on for this podcast, Sam and Ian. I had a great time talking. I, I think we we uh, we brought some great points up, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys on Twitter and um, and in your uh, sports commentating, Sam. For, for sure. Uh, happy to be here. Glad to talk to you guys. Uh, it's it's good that finally we have a Davidson basketball podcast. I know the Belk Report has one as well. Um, we, I've been waiting for that in my time here, so I'm glad I got to feature on one. Yeah, we loved having you guys on. And I really just, since I since I started tweeting, since I got my little gig at A10 Talk, I, I've really been trying to, to grow Davidson's presence on Twitter, social media, podcast. It's lovely. Belk Report has like doubled or maybe close to tripled in following. And and now we have Davidson Decoded doing some graphics and stuff. And now this podcast, I mean, I, I love uh, seeing, seeing the community grow for sure. Big shout out to Sam and Ian for joining us today. If for some reason you aren't following them already, you can follow Sam on Twitter at Sam underscore gold 22 and check out his weekly radio show, The Goldmine. You can also follow Ian and Belk Report 
on Twitter, at BelgReport. We recently got our email up and running, too, so if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please give us an email at luxuslitterbox at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at LLB underscore podcast. Thank you again for listening, and go Wildcats!